girl, this is about the gays, but like not in a fun way. It, the worst way possible. It's the worst way possible. It's really bad. But we get to be in Toronto for a little bit. We get to go to Canada. <laughs> Hi, Julian Bezavali. <laughs> Hi, Patrick Hines. I hate this person. I know. Not me you, too. but no, I love you. I love the gays. Can I plug? So, fam, on my website, patrickfails.com, you can see all my book tour dates, but I want to talk about two. Please do. So, on Saturday, May 20th, I'm doing a benefit reading. It's the same prices. It's not any more expensive. It's okay. 30 bucks for regular admission, 50 bucks for VIP, but it's all the money is going to the theater that I grow up doing theater at, like oh, the community goodness. theater in my town. I love this. So, it's a benefit for the Cape Cod Theater Company slash Harwich Junior Theater. All the money is going there. I'm giving every single penny. So if you're in the Massachusetts area or I'm, people are coming like from Dallas or whatever. Really? I'm going to be super emotional. I'm going to just be hanging out. We'll go to a bar after everyone's welcome. It's your hometown show. Yeah, it's my hometown show. I'm so excited. So Saturday, May 20th at 7 p.m. Please come if you can. Yes. We're two thirds sold out, I guess I should say. Yeah. So get in there. I'm also coming to London, fam. <gasps> I'm doing a show at a place called 21 Soho on Friday, August 4th at 8 p.m. I'm I'm afraid no one's going to come. I don't oh, know what's going to happen. People are coming. Please, don't please, worry. please, London, come. That one does not include a copy of the book because we can't. We're not allowed to do that Some internationally. International issues. Or whatever. But come. You can pre-order the book there if you want to. Or you can just, like, meet me and hang out for the show. That's yeah. it. I'm done talking about Okay, great. Oh, so it's patrickfails.com. Get all the information on my traveling book party there. Thank you for indulging me. I love this. I demand that you do it every episode now. Thank you so much. All right, girl. What are we talking about today? We're talking about the gays. We, yeah, well, we're... T- I'm yes. so excited to talk about the gays. I know. I know you are. And there's some good gays here. There's great ones. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh my God. Anyway, we're talking about this piece of shit. His name is Bruce MacArthur. <laughs> it's the catching a killer thing that they do on Oxygen. Yep. It's like the only time we're going to say his name, basically. He's now the killer. He's exactly. There were men going missing from the gay village. I'm looking at these pictures that look like me. I started believing there is something wrong. For years, nothing happens. But when Kinsman goes missing, it's impossible to ignore anymore. The investigation became Project Houston. Because it was Houston, we have a problem. We had surveillance on MacArthur. We couldn't let him out of our sight. They run into the bedroom, and they find a shocking discovery. Someone's life is on the line. Do you expect Santa Claus to be killing and dismembering men? He was interviewed as a witness. He wanted to help. He seemed genuine. The police had no idea what the hell they were dealing with. Three human torsos and assorted bones have been found in large planters. I think I could have been one of them. We got to give Oxygen the props when the props are due. This was a great documentary. Yeah, it was pretty good. Go watch it, fam. I I thought this was really interesting. But we're in Toronto. We meet Wendy Gillis. She's a crime reporter for the Toronto Star. She says she's covered this case extensively. Extensively. And she says... Toronto gets often compared to New York City because they have neighborhoods like Little Italy and Little Korea. Yeah, and Chinatown and the village. But in this yes. way, it's it's the gay village. So, But the thing is, the village in New York also used to be the gay village. It, yeah. And now it's overrun by the straights. When I used to hang out there my first 10 years in New York, it was just gay, gay, gay. It that was. was like where all the history. Gay street. That gay street, which yeah. is weirdly not named for a gay not, person, named for related. Sydney Allen gay, but not a gay person. <laughs> just a happy coincidence. Happy coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gay coincidence. It's like right near the duplex. It's like as gay as you and can get. And you're missing a major bar that's and down the, there. And Stonewall. And Stonewall. Anyway, I love Toronto. We've been there plenty. Yeah. I'm fine with the comparison. Yeah, I'll take it. So we meet James. He's a village resident. He says, The village in Toronto has been around a long time. I've been playing in it, living in it, working in it for over 50 years. It's something that's very deep to my core. 
I've been living in it, playing in it, working in it for 50 years. It's in me to my core. Yeah, and he's also a freelance reporter. So yes. he, this is very, very, very close to home. I mean, figuratively and literally. And he's he's doing the work here too. Yeah. We learn that between 2010 and 2013, men presumed to be gay men are going missing in the village in Toronto and nobody's noticing. Right. And when they are noticing, they're not really talking about it much. Yeah, because they are what our friend Haran describes as brown men. They're yes. from India or Pakistan. And so no one is really paying attention. And they're like from the gay part of town. Like They're no from the gay is... part of town, but they're, they are also, we'll learn a lot of these men are deeply closeted. Some of them have wives and like families and people in their lives don't know. Essentially, they make the point a lot that the men that are going missing here don't have much community. They don't have a strong group of friends in the neighbor in the gayborhood, as they right. say. Yeah. So when they go missing, other than their like families, nobody really notices. And a lot of these men are living a straight life. They're married with kids, so their families are not yeah. going to be looking in the gay village for them. I take a little bit of umbrage with the sure. way the cops are like, oh, well, he was married. I'm like, well, copper, I'm also married. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. They want us to assume when they say they're married that they're married to a woman. And I'm like, right. this was made not long ago. I like, know. Gay marriage is legal in Canada, everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot These of... These cops do a lot of bad shit and they do some good shit. I just feel like Canadians are so nice. And I was honestly thinking that this was going to be hard for me to be mean to these cops because no. I think Canadians I'm are so nice. feeling just fine about them not giving a shit about brown yeah. men going missing until the white guy goes missing. I know. And also, they like don't give a shit about the brown people or the, the non-white people. And yeah. they also are very happy to stop talking about the gay stuff. They yes. are very happy to be like, oh, no, gay stuff here. Great. Just I know. So our first victim is Skanda Navaratnam, and he's from Sri Lanka. He disappears September 6, 2010. He was like, I gotta say, I'm sorry, it bears discussing. Yes. The names of the gay establishments here are, I just, I love them so much. Zippers. He was last seen at a nightclub called Zippers. He left with an unknown man and never returned. Yeah. He had a lot of friends in the village. He was from Sri Lanka. When he came to Toronto, he was able to more fully be himself. He had his own struggles with coming out, but he was out to his brothers, not to his mother. He came to Toronto to, like, be more fully who he was. He came to, like, a progressive city yeah. to, like, come out and try to live as a gay man. Yeah. It's important to build on what you were saying. He did have a community of friends, and they report him missing. Mm -hmm. And the police didn't take it that seriously. And they literally only didn't take it that seriously because he was sort of unhoused at the time. Like, they couldn't get a lot of information about him. Yeah. And he was a person of color. And there's a lot of this, like, assumption that these people are missing on purpose. Uh -huh. That's never the thing. That's never, ever, ever the thing. It's like... It, it, some of the things that are said in this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Even in Canada. Canada, we expect more from you. I mean, reporter Wendy also reminds us, she says that the thing about the gay village is that people did come and go. Yes. So it didn't always set off a lot of alarm bells. Like if you didn't see someone for a while, yep. like that wasn't that yeah. uncommon. Yes. To a woman, because we do need to make a distinction because gay marriage is legal in uh, both places. Yep. You can be married and to a man or a woman or living to neither. Proof. I'm like, living you can proof. Be married to just a human. <laughs> totally. Humans marry humans. Get exactly. the fuck Right, everybody. So he was living in the suburbs. He had told his wife he was going to meet a friend. The wife obviously didn't know he was gay. He was last seen at a steam room called Steamworks. It's a great name for a bathhouse. Yeah, it's a bathhouse. The place where you can go and like hook up with guys. Yeah, and so his wife had no idea that yeah. he was doing any of this. Right. 
And our third victim is Majid Kahan. He goes missing 18 months later on October 18th, 2012. And his son reported him missing. Yeah. And he's last seen inside his Alexander Street apartment. And he, again, he's living what they call a double life. One as a gay man and then one at home with his family. Which is just so fucking sad. It's so sad. Like, this is 2012. This isn't 1972. Right. And it's Toronto. And it's Toronto. You know? I know. It's very sad. These three men go missing all within a few blocks and sort of like in a relatively short amount of time. Right. So they're saying, like, we have a serial killer expert with us. And he's saying, like, for people who study serial killers, this should be setting off alarm bells. If there are three people that have commonalities the way that these men do, and they all go missing from, like, within two or three blocks of each other, like, you got a fucking serial killer, Canada. But nobody wants to look at that because they don't care about these victims. Right. And our expert, who I love, his name is Ju Young Lee. He's amazing. He also says... It tends to be the case that people who are responsible for serial killings are hunting for their victims in places that they're familiar with. My first thought was that this is somebody who knows his way around this place. So Ju Young Lee says, we're looking for someone who goes to the gay village. And also he says hunting. I know. The word hunting made me go, oof. I know. So he was like, you okay over there? I was no. Ju Young, Young is one of those people who is just so rational and yes. logical about this. And he says words that to us were like, oh God, but that's exactly what these serial killers do. Yeah. He, like this piece of shit guy, the killer, we're not going to say his name, but like he hunted these men. Yeah. So now we jump to 2012 and they're just reminding us, like for years, these men are going missing. They're missing persons flyers are everywhere, but no one is connecting the cases, and they're not making any real attempt to investigate it. Again, the old line is, they're adult men, they're grown-ups, if they want to go missing, they're allowed to. Right. And Nobody na- wants to go missing. Right. Well, Nobody we- wants to go missing. So, it's the fall of 2012, and it's two years after the disappearances began. Yeah. And Toronto police, they get a tip from Interpol. This is so fucking wild. So, Interpol, if you don't know, is the International Policing Agency, and what they do is, they get tips from around the world, and then just, like, send it to the right jurisdiction. Yes. Good <laughs> job, Interpol. Someday somebody was like, you know what we need? We need somebody who could pull all the tips and send them to the right places. Right. I feel like whatever, whenever that started was way too late. Yeah, but it's like, why are you calling the main line when you can just call Toronto? I... If it's me, right. I don't know how Interpol got this phone call. I don't. What do you Google it? I don't. Like, right. how do I call uh, Interpol? What is it? Nine one one plus zero one one nine one one. Who knows? Star. Yeah, totally. So, but this tip is fucking chilling. Right. This tip comes from Switzerland. Someone within the Toronto Police Service gets this call. That it might sound strange, but potentially there's a cannibal working within the Greater Toronto Area. There's a cannibal. In Toronto. Yeah. And like, at first, the cops obviously don't believe this because it sounds ridiculous. But like, the tip came from Switzerland. They go to fucking Switzerland to interview the guy that made the tip. And they're like, oh, no, this guy's pretty credible. Yeah. And so this cannibal is talking about all of this stuff online. Yes. And we learned that there are forums specifically for people with cannibal fetishes. How are those websites allowed to exist? I don't know. That is that is bananas. But all of this stuff, these like human trafficking and like all the, yep. the child sexual abuse images, like this whole line of like, well, we can't infiltrate them because these horrible people make it so that to get in, you have to like produce something exactly. that someone in law enforcement can't. Yep. And I'm like, can we get Chris Hansen over here I know. to hire one of those people who's 25, but she she looks 14. I know. And get her to take a photo so we can get in here and shut it down. Like, what is stopping us from doing that? If we know that this fucking cannibal fetish that exists, there's got to be right. shit we can do. Remember, but, remember Chris Hansen? Why don't you have a seat? Totally. And they always do. Yeah. They almost or always do. Or sometimes they fucking run. And then it's like, well, now we're in for it. I don't, I mean, oh, I Oh, these never... condoms? I just didn't. And she's I... always like, you brought the condoms, right? And the booze? And the porn? 
Hansen. I know. I saw a new version of this on YouTube where it's not Chris Hansen. Of it's like not. the fucking brothers and fathers. <gasps> and it is fucking terrible. But was the person actually underage or yeah. was she acting? No, it, it was a he. It was a little, it was like a 13 year old boy and like a, a grown man. And like these, like the brothers and the fathers had like entrapped this guy because they found out that he was like talking to the brother online. It's wild. Those actors, I know. fearless. I know. To open, and they always make it seem like, I'll just be in the next room. I'm just changing. They, there's some <laughs> excuse for them to run uh, into some locked safe room. I know. I and the know. guy's just like helping themselves to the cheese Can and craft imagine, singles like, that's in the fridge. That casting call, looking for a 40 year old who looks like she's 13. And it's like, finally, my time. I know. Not mine, obviously. But the police are saying, Really? Come on, are you cannibal? And then, well, hold on a second. Actually, we do have a missing man from Toronto who fits the profile that this individual is talking about. Well, now that you mention it, we do have a missing man or men from the village who do fit this description. Holy shit, maybe this is real. Right. So the first victim that they connected to is Skandinavaratnam. And so they're like, wait a second. Yeah. We have more missing men who are just like Skanda. So now, like, are these disappearances, they have to be connected. To this cannibal thing. Right. So December 2012... They launch. <laughs> Wendy, our journalist friend, tells us this, and she says it with a straight face. And I can only, can, can we actually hear that, please? The Toronto police named this investigation Project Houston because it was Houston. We have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> like, I think she must have done eight takes of that. And I was like, also, wouldn't that apply to every single case that falls in these cops? Yeah, uh, How is we have a problem every time. <laughs> Someone had just rented the excellent film Apollo 13. Yes, yes. Can we talk about how good that movie is? Sure, but I just... If you like, have a problem with it, they can take it up with my husband. He'll be home <laughs> on Thursday. <laughs> On Friday or whatever it is. Oh my God, I'm just so saying, like, that. the way Wendy said that with a straight face, because yeah. it's ridiculous. As in Houston, like, they, like, they're not all problems. Exactly. Get it That's together. what I'm saying. Ugh. This source leads them to a guy named James Burton, and they're like, this must be the cannibal, right? And it turns out he was the one writing the cannibal messages, but don't worry about it. He wasn't actually a cannibal. He was just producing child sexual abuse images. Because what happens is, I mean, this guy is such a fucking creep. He's not a murderer, but he's a fucking Fucking creep. So yeah. he was married to a woman and yes. would go to the gay village. He was placed there on several occasions. So they're like, okay, like yeah. we're getting one step closer. But what he was doing was secretly filming teenage hockey players while they were changing in the locker room. How did he get into the locker room is my question. That I don't know. Was he a coach or something? He was secretly recording these boys. And then putting them on this cannibal chat room website or whatever. I, I, I gotta, can I just say, I know this doesn't need to be said, but not all gays. In fact, almost none of the gays do this. Yeah, give me a break. I, it's just like, it, this is such a fucking bad look. And so the cops are like, no, 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 this wasn't a cannibalism site. It right. was a child sex images site. And I'm like, how did the source miss that? I know. <laughs> this source, I know. while credible right. or not at all, or yeah. maybe a little, I don't know. Like, right. what's what, what were they doing on that website? And the bottom line is, like, this is all bad. There isn't any actual cannibalism going on. So at least we can scratch that off the I list. Yeah, I, <laughs> not in this documentary. <laughs> The one good thing to come out of this is that the cops are now paying attention to like, oh my God, we actually do have a bunch of missing men from the village. So in 2013, the cops make a public appeal about the missing men. They start interviewing members of the community. One of the men that was interviewed had come onto the radar for police when they found his email address in the phone that belonged to Navaratnam. That same email address was also written on a notepad owned by Abdul Bazir Faizi. 
We have a username of SilverFox, but we didn't know exactly what the relationship was between SilverFox and these men. And they learn about this man with a username Silver Fox because they Silver find- Fox with two X's, fifty one <laughs> at hotmail.com. <laughs> when we see pictures of him, it's so gross. It's definitely my future. Oh, don't say that. You haven't said that in so long. You think I was going to let that go by? Don't you dare say that about my friend Patrick. But the point is, we learn that this Silver Fox guy is connected to two of the missing men. Right. So the cops have found a legitimate link between at least two of them. Right. And so the thing about this Silver Fox guy is that, like, when the police want to get the shit done, they do it. Because within 24 hours, they've, like, Googled, the, what do you call it, an IP address or whatever? Yeah, okay. good job. <laughs> Thank you. Not bad. They, they Google his IP address. They get a name, Bruce MacArthur. Bruce they, MacArthur. They, they finger the guy in 24 hours. But not and, really. And I wrote, I said, it only took them three years to get this information in 24 hours. I mean, right. You know what I mean? But but they don't think it's their guy. They think, oh, yes. he must be friends. Because he's they're finding his name in address books and calendars. They're like, oh, great. A friend who yep. knows all of these men. Maybe he can help us. That's also like, I'm sorry to say it, like but that's the dumbest assumption it's very stupid. Why can't that be option B? Maybe he is the murderer. And maybe you should go into the interview assuming he is. Because they don't want to talk about gay stuff. And just get the fucking guy off the street. Yeah. God, you know what they probably like less than talking about gay stuff? Finding dead bodies. That's what it fucking seems like. You know what I mean? Day in and day out. Yeah, so like like you have fewer dead bodies if you talk about the gay stuff for five minutes. I know. And this guy, the, the killer, looks a lot like the fucking creep. Exactly. They look yep. very, very similar. He's described. They would have seen an older man, kind of portly guy. He was relatively newly out as a gay man and had just started a landscaping company. Older, portly guy. I said, damn, Wendy, you are savage Well, he's, She put on her savage dress for describing Bruce MacArthur. Houston, as in Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Bruce is pretty, like, unassuming and affable. He's newly out. He was a grandfather. He sometimes worked as a mall Santa. He came across as very affable. I don't know that alarm bells were going off about him. I thought, uh, I saw that he was a very credible, believable person. Uh, he wanted to help. He seemed genuine. The cops really do see this Bruce guy as just like a genuine guy who just wants to help. Yeah, no alarm bells at all. Very credible, very genuine. And he admits to knowing Skanda. He's like, yep. absolutely. And so here's the connection to our first victim, Skanda, and the killer. Yeah. They worked together in landscaping. The killer had hired him to work in his landscaping business. I mean, the John Wayne Gacy of it all, like he was the construction guy who was hiring all the kids right. to work those jobs and then killing them. But they also like had a relationship and then weren't together anymore, yes. but they were still working anymore. So like Bruce's clients knew Skanda. Correct. So now we meet Karen Frazier. <laughs> and you know what? Someone at Oxygen has been listening yeah, because yeah. her lower third is former friend yes, and I, client I of Bruce. that too. Thank you, Oxygen. Poor fucking Karen has been through it. I gotta tell you, she's here to spill all the salt <laughs> and tea. thinks this whole story's about her. I know. <laughs> Karen, I, it's Trump. I get it. It's, I know. A, it's a horrible thing. And listen, what Karen has been through really is extraordinary. She, okay. It is ex extraordinary. So Karen is the only former friend and client of Bruce's who will, like former landscaping client yeah. who's sitting in front of the camera. Yes. I feel like she pushed everyone out of the way. And I gotta tell you, do she does have, of all of them, she's got the wildest story. So she explains, like, Bruce was so nice. He had over 100 clients. Yeah. He did a great job. She knew Skanda. She says, I thought he was delightful. Very sweet, very humorous. I liked him because when I made jokes sort of at Bruce's expense because he never caught on, Skanda laughed right away. And he realized that it was funny that Bruce wasn't getting it. The killer would be like, what are you guys laughing about over there? They'd be like, nothing. 
maybe yeah, yeah. talking shit about the killer, which I love. <laughs> and it made it even funnier because yeah. the killer wasn't getting it. And the killer also admits to hiring victim number three. His name Najid. And the thing about Najid is that he was just really bad at landscaping. Karen says, I don't think he ever held a shovel in his life. <laughs> no. To which, like, same, Najid. No, same. Fucking same. Yeah. Karen is saying that Bruce, who never got mad at anybody, was really, really mad at Majid because he just, like, could not figure out how to dig. Which, once again, same. And but also, also, like, Majid, why did you take that job? Like, I don't I'm not know doing what the dynamic job. was yeah. and the relationship and what's happening. But Bruce is super annoyed by this and tells Karen that it's not working out. Karen. Listen, gays like to talk and complain. If there's something to complain about, we're going to find the person. You've been on the receiving end of this. I understand. But Karen then emailed Bruce to check on Majid. Yeah. What kind of person has this kind of friendship with their I landscaper? Know. And like... So, no, I know. And so the killer never responds, and then Karen never sees the killer or anybody else again. Right. <laughs> she says. <laughs> she emails, but I do and y'all, love- I know it's not a visual medium, except for when it is. If you can see the look on Jillian, she's mad at Karen. She just wants I'm Karen mad. to ask a follow-up question. I'm mad that like we ha- we we did this with no one giving a shit for so many uh-huh. years. That's what I'm mad about. Uh-huh. But I do I do like that Karen did care enough about Majid to be like, are you going to lighten up on this guy? Like I- He's doing <laughs> like- I don't. I hired you I because I don't want to do landscaping. Yes. Says Karen. Like she yes. understands it's not. It's a hard job. But I really do like that she was like, I like this guy. The killer's being mean to him. Like, can you lighten up a little bit and relax? I gotta. I want to say Karen really rises above at the end. She does, and she says some things I really like. Yeah. But also, I feel like Karen probably like might be a bottle or two of Chardonnay in the like by noon kind of gal, sure. which I can get behind. Like I wouldn't more join, more but I could get behind. Yeah. Yeah. So the killer is not seen as a suspect. Bruce MacArthur was a witness just like anybody else, and you could link him to two out of three. But we had investigators on our own team who were within the community who told us that we're a small community. You know, everyone knows everybody. So the cops are like, uh, I guess really no red flags. I disagree, but... Yeah. So in April 2014, Project Houston ends. Like, but what that means is they just give up on these men. I know. Once again, they're like, they probably just went missing on purpose. Like, they just, they have no idea what happened. They yeah. can't prove anything one way or the other. And they just stop. Yes. They stop investigating. Yeah. Everyone just feels like the police could have done more. But the cops are saying, you have to understand this wasn't a murder investigation at the time. So? This was, well, I agree. <laughs> I'm just playing devil's advocate for yes, one second. Sure. Because we always say, we come into these documentaries with all the information because yes. we know what happens. Yeah. And they don't have it. And they're saying that, like, they are trying to say, we we did investigate. We did poke around. We didn't find anything. But I'm like, you also interviewed the fucking killer. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? You yeah. had the guy at the station in the fucking chair. Yep. So, like, have a little bit of introspection about that. Yes. You know? Especially now three more because men. Because I was just going to say, because more people go missing and are murdered. Right. If you'd asked better questions or asked it to, or just had been like, I'm going to maybe assume since you did know two of the victims that maybe you had, like, just ask that question. Yeah. Just, like, take a look around. Be a little more curious. You know, exactly. Yeah. Three more men go missing. Victim number four is Sarush Mahmoodi. And it's August 2015. Again, he's married to a woman with kids. He went to sleep and he was gone in the morning. Like he was, it was assumed that he left for work. And Karishna Kumar Kanagaratnam. Yep. January 2016. So this is a heartbreaking, additionally heartbreaking, like add more to the heartbreak. Krishna Kumar Kanagaratnam had been living underground. He wasn't allowed to be in Canada. He'd been denied refugee status. He was fleeing Sri Lanka because of the war. He actually saw his brother murdered by the army in his front yard. 
no one even knew to look for him necessarily. Right. Yes. And so he fled Sri Lanka after watching his brother get murdered. Yes. And he was going to be deported. Like, it's just a very complicated, like, hard to track down situation. Yeah. And the third victim is Dean Lissowick. So he... it's the third in this batch, but it's six altogether. Yes. And he disappears April 21st, 2016. And he was an unhoused person who, like, did sex work and was, but people in the community knew him. So now we're up to victim number seven. It's April 17th, 2017. And again, it's like people are just going missing. People are just disappearing. Yeah. And no one, and from the same community, from the same, like there is a connection here, right. but no one's looking at it. I mean, and the connection is just so fucking simple. They're all gay men going missing right. from the village. You know right. what I mean? Like the connection is so obvious. And so now it's April 17th, 2017. And our seventh victim is Salim Essen. And we see this all the time, like with Gacy, like it, he was just a vulnerable, he didn't have an address. Yes. So like he went missing with everything he owned. And so he he's hard to track down. And so we had a partner. And right. They say the partner hadn't heard from him in a couple of weeks and that's what he reported him missing. Right. If I don't hear from Steve every 10 minutes, I call the cops. Right. But well, you're married with a child. I, I don't know what true. their situation is. I can't was. raise that kid by myself. No, you can't. I love her so much. God but knows. you're moving in if Steve dies. <laughs> Sorry. You're the closest to me right now. You're moving in. Hey, Mike. Sorry. Um, we might I Michael do it. raise her alone. Michael help. Okay. That would actually be great. That would be great. <laughs> Has anyone seen Daisy and Mike in the last couple of years? No, they're still at the playgrounds. <laughs> Michael be like, again. <laughs> Daisy loves Mike. I know she does. It's very cute. And he loves her right back. Yeah. But we also learned that with Salim, he was struggling with mental health and substance use. So it's just another person. And this is where Ju Young Lee, our expert, is back. He's like, serial killers are opportunists. Yeah. This is what they do. And he says, After many years of getting away with crimes that they've committed, serial killers develop this sense of confidence. Over time, they might become sloppier, less risk averse, and they might do things that increase the likelihood of them getting caught. With confidence comes sloppiness. Correct. And I want to get to that in a second, but I just want to also say that, like, we need to know better. We know that serial killers are targeting marginalized people who don't have community, who are, like, living on the margins. And, like, that's another connection. So these men are all gay or all at least, like, participating in the gay fucking lifestyle or however the conservatives They're in the gay village a lot. They're in the gay village. They're all disappearing within blocks of each other. A lot of them fucking know each other. And they're all people who don't have people. That's another connection. It's it. so, and again, I know like we're watching the documentary, so we have all the information. And I always try to give a little bit of grace for that, but like there are so many obvious connections here. I mean, there have been eight men of similar circumstances and yes. in one way or the other. Maybe yeah. they don't they don't all take every box, but there are several connections yeah. within all of them. Like, let's go. Canada, and, I thought you were better than this. And you had Project Houston, so you right. were on it a well, little bit. Houston, we have a problem. Like, do just do we remind. ever? <laughs> Do we ever. So now, this is where everything takes a turn. So yep. it's June 26th, 2017, and our eighth victim is Andrew Kinsman. Now, what's different about him, Julian? He's white. Exactly. He's white. And he's got a big, strong, thriving community. He's the super of his building. Yeah. He lives in the village. He's got—he's uh, me. He's got, like, I live in Hell's Kitchen. I've got yeah. a group of gay friends. If I went missing, believe you me, you'd get a text in 20 seconds. Right. He'd probably be sending the text. Yeah, it would be me. Yeah. <laughs> My point is that, like, he had a strong community. That's what made this guy different, and now the killer is getting sloppy. I, right, and he was, like, very connected to the community and connected yeah. in his building, and he had a routine, and yes. he had responsibilities. People were expecting him at a certain time, so when he went missing, it became very clear, and he's white. Exactly. So he is the one that got everyone talking about a serial killer. Right, and there's a huge public outcry. When Kinsman goes missing, it's impossible to ignore anymore, and the light gets shone brighter and brighter and brighter on this investigation. This is yet another incident 
where a white person goes missing and there's an automatic reaction. But when people of color go missing, it's not paid attention to. And again, not a great look community because now that the white guy is missing, this is when they organize. This is when they're doing like the massive ground searches Uh and handing out the flyers. And we know that, like, I'm sorry, I'm not like, I don't want to hold the Toronto gay community accountable. They seem very nice. But like, we knew that people in the community did know that these marginalized people of color were also missing. But they don't spring into action until the strapping white guy goes missing. And it's like when people talk about systemic racism, this is it at work, right? It took seven, there were seven missing non-white men in the same community and and then the white guy with the good job goes missing and now everyone gives a shit. This is what systemic means. And we do see the community did organize just in a smaller way for the other men. We see them handing out the flyers and we see them taping them up to the light post. And again, there was only so much they could do if every member of law enforcement was like, we tried for those five minutes. Like, what could they have done? Totally. Toronto, I love you. When I go out drinking in the village when I come later this year, please be nice to me. (laughs) I had like a great Impossible Burger. It all comes back to great time. Toronto. We had a great that great dinner. We yes. did some like appearance and then we went to dinner like yep. just us. It was so much fun. So great. We were there the second they opened. <laughs> we were starving. We, wait, we were waiting outside. <laughs> it's true. Because we had a very early flight and then we did like a bunch of stuff and then we like realized we hadn't eaten. Yeah. But it was only like five in the <laughs> afternoon. We were like, Hi. <laughs> so Project Houston is back up and running. Only now it's called Project Prism. Because it's gay. Because it's gay stuff. That's what I have in my notes too. Because it's gay me. stuff. A nice, like, glistening rainbow. Prime flag? Yeah. Yeah. Project Rainbow. Exactly. So that started in August of 2017. So this is the big moment because within days, the detectives are in Andrew's apartment. He's the white guy that went missing. And they're looking around. They're collecting evidence. But they find a regular wall calendar. Might have been a TCO one that we sent out to the $20. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. And on that traditional calendar was medical appointments, bill payments. And then on date of June 26th, around 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. There was the name of Bruce. The name Bruce written and circled between like 2 and 3 p.m. And that's the day that he went missing. Right. So they head to the cameras around his apartment to see if they can track Andrew's movements. Yeah. And they see someone leaving Andrew's house and getting into the passenger side of a red van. But unfortunately... And we see it too. And they talk about like how grainy and shitty the foot... I'm like, it looks pretty good to me. But they couldn't see enough. And I'm like, fucking amazing. Let's just have this happen over and over and over and over and over again. Totally. Like, they are... They're winking at us saying, we knew this was Andrew getting into the van, but it wouldn't hold up in court. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like you couldn't see enough of him, but we knew it was very likely him. And so all they know is that it's a red Dodge Caravan, and so we're off to the car dealership to find out what the hell we need to know about this red Dodge Caravan. We learn that it's from 2004, Yeah. and then they do the special police Googling, and they find out that 6,000 people have that car, and then they search the Excel spreadsheet to see the names of it, and guess fucking what? Bruce MacArthur, the killer? Yeah. He has one of them. And, like, there's one of six Bruces, he's one of them, and he's the only one who's ever had any interaction with the police. Right. And so they look up his record. And this is what I'm saying. Like, when the cops want to do the work, they really get it done. So I'm like, okay, so we get to learn about Bruce's background. The background they didn't look into the first time when they had that nice little chat a couple years ago and the first three men went missing. We didn't go into this before. Exactly. Once again, if you had just, like, they want to assume that because he's connected to two of the victims that they were just good friends. If they had just put their cop hat on and been like, let's just assume for a second that he's the killer and give him a fucking goof in the police machine 
machine or whatever, they would have found the same thing years ago that they just found now, and four other men wouldn't have been fucking killed. Right. Can you just assume the worst for once? It's real I, easy. <laughs> I do it all the time, I do all it day long. Every it, you day. can actually set it as your default. I did that when I was two. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know where but Daisy they, gets it from. Basically, like we learn he was dating this guy. The guy is here, he's in shadow, he goes by John Doe, and the guy is telling us about this incredibly violent sexual encounter they had in the back of that red van. We're making out. Then you put my left arm behind my head. And I figured he was going to titillate me a little bit the way I like. And that's when he, uh, he's just strangling me. He was strangling me for like three to four minutes. That was a long time. It turns from sexy time to legitimately Bruce trying to strangle and murder this guy and very nearly doing it. And so this John Doe had dated Bruce. He said, I only knew him yes. as Bruce, but they did have some kind of a relationship because he says he was like, Bruce always wanted to have sex in that van. Like, yeah. What was what was it with that van? And John Doe the van says- van with no windows? Right. That you can close the door and nobody can hear you scream? And John Doe was like, no, I'm not really into the van. Like, can we just do it here? Yeah. And he goes, he goes, finally, that day I relented. He wouldn't shut up about that stupid right. van. So then they get into the van and they have sex on this fur coat just I'm sorry but remember that yeah and like it's on <laughs> yeah. it's on top of like a bunch of tarps not very sexy for sexy time <laughs> no. unless you're into that yes. and you're not a murderer in exactly. which case go forth and as long as everyone's consenting go fun. forth and fur and have fun <laughs> as long as it's fake Right, but like this John Doe just explains that like it was not like it was sexy time and we're playing a game. He was no. trying to murder There was no me. consent here at all. And Bruce looks like angry and disgusted and John Doe fights back and gets the hell Be- out of there. He says this goes, he, the strangulation goes on for three minutes. He starts thinking about his mom. He's yeah. like, I'm dead. This is it. This he, is the end. Like the, Bruce oh. had his arm pinned behind his neck in a way that he couldn't, like he was going to die. And he got out of it, but then he fucking, he tells Bruce he's calling the cops. Bruce takes off in the red van John Doe pulls out his camera, gives Chase in his own car. He's calling 911. We hear it. We have the footage. He's okay. He's okay. Okay, he's going south now. The 911 lady is yelling at him. She's like, I'm just trying to help you, sir. She basically pulls in us and tells him to pull over, and he's not doing it. Because he doesn't. He has eyes on Bruce, yeah. on the killer. So for him, he's like, well, I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. But exactly. she's like, but you, we don't want you to get hurt. Like, we'll take care of it. And he's like, absolutely not. I can't even imagine. But then John Doe tells us that, like, basically Bruce, later on that night, turns himself in. And he's like, no, officer. It was just a little bit of hanky-panky. We were just getting, like, a little bit dirty, sexy. And I wasn't... I wasn't trying to do anything, and they basically drop any questioning against him. So here, so, because John Doe gives his statement, and he's like, that's it. They didn't take any photos of me, nothing. The killer turns himself in, and the cops believe the killer because they're super happy to not talk about gay stuff anymore. A million percent. And they totally believe that, like, this is how gays have sex. And it's like, wait a second, wait a second. You have two totally conflicting stories. Yes. You're going to believe the one that means you don't have to talk about gay stuff anymore when you have someone who is clearly, you can hear him on the phone. Yeah. He's terrified. He's like, this is something that just happened. So they have the name Bruce because they found the Red Dodge Caravan and all of this stuff, right? right? So they're like, okay, Bruce, let's look into him like we didn't do all those years ago with the three missing right. men. And that's when they get John Doe's story. Once they finally look into him, for how long did could that have taken? Exactly. Honestly. So then they call up John Doe, but this is a year after his horrifying incident where they didn't care at all. Right. Now they want to learn more about the killer. And they learn 
a lot. Because what they do is now, based on John Doe's story and the connection to the red van and Andrew Kinsman, that whole thing, now they've got Bruce under surveillance. They're following him everywhere. They learn he lives in a big apartment in central Ontario. He owns a landscaping company. This is where we get kind of his backstory, that he'd been married. He came out. We'll learn later that he was actually outed to his wife. Which is... It's Shitty. such fucking, it's so garbagey, but he was outed to his wife. She leaves him. He moves to the village where he makes friends. We meet this guy, Peter. You know, uh, come on. <laughs> Bruce would be the kind of guy that if I ran into him in the village and we were bored, it's like, hey, let's wolf down a pizza and, you know, watch an episode of the Golden Girls or something. Wolf down a pizza and watch an episode of the Golden Girls. Peter, call me. It's Friday night. What do you think my plans are? <laughs> I'm Wolf not kidding. Pizza, watch the fucking Golden Mike Girls. Mike and I just started another rewatch from the top. From the top? From so you the saw top. Coco the Gay Cook in the first oh, yeah. episode? Yep. But, you know, Wolf Down a Pizza Peter is telling us that, like... <laughs> a piece of Peter? I love Wolf it. Wolf Down a Piece of Peter. A piece of Pizza Peter. He tells us that Bruce was just known around town as a good guy that everybody Spacey likes. all over again. Yeah. Spacey all over again. He's, yeah. he's donating to charities, and he's very helpful to friends and neighbors, and, you know... And then we get his backstory, and the serial killer expert is back to say, essentially, that, like... Bruce grew up in this home where he had like a really abusive dad. That is the story of a lot of serial killers. Yep. He did not have a close connection with either of his parents. Also the story of a lot of serial killers. Yeah. He also grew up in the 50s and 60s at a, at a, in a very religious home where we can just assume that like homosexuality was demonized. Yeah. And that's the truth. We're told that. Like he couldn't talk about being gay. There was lots of like gay hate in his family. Like, and so he probably internalized a lot yes. of that. And so he, yeah, he learned to repress who he was from when he was very, very young. Yeah. And he like meets like the, his wife in high school marries his high school sweetheart. They have kids and that's when he like starts to live the double life. Right. Because we learn that he's been having affairs with men going back to like the 70s and the 80s. Right. And so like someone outed him to his wife which yeah. is so like this guy is fucking trash yes. but everyone should be able to come out on their terms and like and they, in their they way. try to do this thing where they say like is that what made him hate gays and is that why he became a no he's a murderer because he's a fucking murderer. He's a murderer we learned that when he came out and like he even though he didn't want to necessarily come out when he did and he moved to Toronto he had like a thriving gay life with friends he was doing gay stuff hanging yeah. out at gay bar he wasn't like in living inside, hating himself, pretending he wasn't gay. No, he, he's a murderer because he's a fucking murderer. He's a murderer. And like he went to a support group called Gay Fathers yeah. where there were like men who had married women and had kids and now they're out and gay and like yeah. how they did. Like, I was like, where's the support group for those wives? You know what I mean? I know. So Karen, the landscaping client, is back. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's why Karen was so chatty with Bruce. One, I think it's just who Karen is. <laughs> it's just in her name. But in on top of that, yeah. she lived next <laughs> it's door. She it's just who she is. You kind of can't get Karen to stop talking, especially after one or two Chardonnays. Which, fine. I see a lot of myself in Karen. I know you do. <laughs> but she lives next door to Bruce's sister. Yeah. So that's why she feels very comfortable that she can email him and you be, better be nice to that guy, which is like, she has a point. Be nice to him. Yeah. But you need to be, she's very chatty. She's very chatty. And Karen is saying, his sister called me and said, you have a double garage that you don't use. Would you let my brother store his equipment? And I said, well, if he cut the lawn, it's a deal. Karen says, this is the best deal I ever made. They make a big note that, like, he's decorating her planters. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not going to be good. It's not good. I'm like, oh, suddenly I'm understanding why Karen is getting so much airtime. I know. And she's great on camera. Yeah. Let's not take that away from her. <laughs> no, that's true. She's pretty good. That's very she's true. She's no wet blanket. Now that he's out, yeah. part of the killer's life, he's just cruising gay websites. Not evil, not, not a no, crime. No, but he is definitely out there looking for what they call rough sex. Yeah. There's a confluence of things 
the rough sex, hedonistic life that he was trying to live after repressed for so many years escalated and he realized that he enjoyed that. The experience of sexual domination, the excitement that you feel in the moment, having that kind of control. He wanted to dominate and control sexually, which if everyone agrees and there's a safe word and we can do this in a safe, sane, yeah, and consensual, exactly. that's the only way we can do it. But we also learned that Bruce has sold the red van. So the cops are trying to find this red van. They want yeah. it for evidence. Bruce has sold it. and We learned that Bruce has a history of wrecking his vehicles, to which I say, <laughs> what? Is that a thing? Wait, is this a documentary about my sister? How do you have a history of wreck? I thought they meant like on purpose. Like yeah. they just sort of, I'm like, I, there's no context, no explanation. Does your sister no. get in a lot of car accidents? Yeah. She the, does? My sister, of, oh, my younger sister. Oh, my, when we were in high school, my younger sister drove into parked cars like four times. <laughs> <laughs> Becca, I love you. But she did. My sister was always calling us from the side of the road. Becca, did you drive into another parked car? Mailbox. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> that mailbox came out of nowhere. And she literally would be like putting on her mascara. Yes. <laughs> She's an amazing person, not not a great driver. Parked cars. <laughs> Phenomenal. That's spectacular. But the cops, we learned, they got to find that van. So they start going to like wrecking yards and auto body shops. It takes them weeks, but they find it at a place called Dom's Auto Body. Great. All right. Thanks Dom, for the help, Dom. It. Listen, yeah. I know this isn't about Dom. We don't ever meet Dom, but I'm telling you, Dom had a dream to open an auto body shop and he did, he did it. it. And good for you. And his name's out on the Supports side. Supports his family. He's got a fucking name his on name's a sign. Out there. Are you kidding me? It's great. He gets to wake up every day and go to his dream job. I that love guy. that. I know. I hope it's his dream job. I, well, why? I mean, why else would you open an auto body shop? I don't know. Maybe it was in the family. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe Dom Sr. Speaking of dad. wet blankets. I hope it's, I hope he loves it. And thanks for the help. He wakes up every morning and he's like, fuck yes. yes! <laughs> fuck another day of work. Yeah, baby. What do we got going on today? Some more fucking cars? Hell yeah, we do. <laughs> it's yes. Dom's. You know what it's I mean? Dom's. It's the fucking auto body shop. Oh my God, I love it. Anyway, they go to Dom's this auto body. This thing goes on forever with the fucking car, I know, by the I know. Way. It goes on forever. The bottom line is they find the car They did, and they find it before it was like wrecked by the auto body shop. Right. But the key thing here is that we learned that when Bruce MacArthur sold it to Dom's, not long after there was an announcement that, you know, we were looking into the disappearances of the missing men. I did believe that there was some sort of nefarious purpose to him getting rid of his vehicle. That tips the police. Because remember, the police are surveilling him. He doesn't know that. They find the car because they're looking for evidence of Andrew Kinsman. Right. And guess what? They get it. Yes. So they test the van. There's evidence in it. There's blood in the van. They test the blood. But it's important to note that like, they're like, we couldn't just go and arrest him because there's not, like, it was a small amount of blood. So obviously something happened to Andrew in there. But like the killer cleaned it up. And they're like, if we were to take him to court just on this. Yeah, and we know that they away. had a past relationship. They're like, he cut his finger. Sure. Like that's the. And it's I'm a not- landscaping thing. Exactly. It could have been like whatever. Yeah. So since he's finally a suspect and no longer like a person of interest, yeah. they kick up the surveillance. But he still doesn't know any of this. No. And they have to be careful because if he gets a whiff of it, like he'll destroy everything. He'll he'll get out of town. Like yes. they have to be really careful. What they really want is a warrant to search his apartment without him knowing and they get that. Covertly. Covert. I'm like, is that a thing? Like, do they do we get to have that in this country? Is that just a Canadian thing? Uh because this guy doesn't the only time he's ever talked to the cops was a very friendly conversation uh-huh. where they thought it was just a 
like good like friends. Like six years ago. Six years ago. Cared. He has no idea they're tracking his every move. They found the van. Now they're going to break into his fucking apartment when he's out. Yeah. And they know what they know his routines and his patterns. Yeah. And I, I was just like, I've never heard of this before. I know. They have like everyone, whatever, walkie-talkies or, I don't know, their fucking cell phones because <laughs> totally. it's 2016 or whatever. <laughs> Go for Jillian? Yeah, yeah. What's Flamingo's on the move. <laughs> So that's West Wing, everybody. Yep. So they think he's away for like hours and hours, yes. right? They're like, go, go, go. go. We're in, woo, we're party. Like, yes, Kylie that's Minogue is blasting. Like, let's fucking go, right? This is, that's my favorite thing that we do. Yeah. Whenever we have to do a go, 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 go. go. So, oh, wait, can I do the thing from like inside the, woo, yeah. Like in the 70s where so, they used to just have the siren. That's me putting the it like on the top. Yeah. <laughs> so they do a physical search, right? But they're like, blah, blah, blah. It's all about the devices. They want the computer and they want everything digital. Oh God, this goes badly so fast. So as they're like, hey, everyone, like, yeah. great. This is going great. He's miles away. But unfortunately, the week of December 5th, his pattern changed. They get the call that MacArthur is coming back. The last thing you want is someone to come home and walk in on you. And once he started heading back home, you have to shut everything down and get out of there as fast as you can. The people who have eyes on Bruce are like, no, abort, 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 reverse, no, 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 go, 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 no, no, no. So they're like, he's coming back, and everyone's like, fuck. But this is terrifying, because they're like, he's only far enough away. If he's coming straight home, he's going to be there in 10 minutes. Right. And they're like, we see like the percentage ticking. They're oh. trying to get everything off of his fucking computer. And so our uh, Wendy's, Wendy's like, journalist- if this was written in a cop show, I'd be like, fucking, that would never happen. This is Law and Order with Benson and Stabler. She'd be like, yeah, right. But she's like, it actually happened. Yes. So they got like 50% of what they wanted. They gotta get, he's gonna be, can you imagine you're a fucking serial killer like no. we know he is and you come home and like the cops are raiding your apartment? No. Everyone dies. So the cops look through the 50% of what they have. If they only got 50%. If they got, I can't even imagine what they would have found if they got 100%. No. So there's lots of pictures of men. Yeah. Fine. Not right, like, don't go through my computer. <laughs> What's that? Lots of I pictures mean, of men? <laughs> just like Ryan Phillippe underpants, uh-huh. Ryan Phillippe shirtless, sure. Ryan Phillippe working out, uh-huh. Ryan Phillippe bench press, uh-huh. Ryan Phillippe underpants again. Right. We circle right back around. It's mostly about the underpants. Right. And it's like in the parentheses, like one, two, three. There are just so many. <laughs> Ryan Phillippe blue underpants. Sure. Ryan Phillippe white underpants. Ryan Phillippe cruel intentions. Ryan Phillippe white squall. There's a good underwear scene of him in that okay. one. Yeah. Long time ago. Okay. So anyway. <laughs> so pictures of Andrew Kinsman, but like yeah. they already knew they had a history. So none yeah. of this is really all that helpful. Like everything could be explained away, but now they start searching for the deleted images. So can I just take a quick break here and say one time I deleted a file on my memory card. Jillian Pensavalli was like, bitch, get up. Within 30 seconds, she had downloaded a program to recover a deleted thing that like could not be recovered and she fucking did it. It always can be recovered. I, I when, when you did, I was like, we're going to have to re-record this whole episode. You're like, Nope, I got this. Yeah. This is what they're doing. They're finding, they call them ghost files. They're images that were deleted, but they are able to recover. They start pulling files off of his computer, which would end up being the smoking gun for other investigation. This picture was on MacArthur's bed. It was of a man who looked as though he was dead. There's a photo of a man on the killer's 
bed and he's dead. And it's Salim Essen. It's one of the men that has been missing this whole time. Right. They're like, he looks dead. And then they're like, nope, he's definitely dead. And then the more they search, they're finding the same kind of photos of our other victims. Yes. And they're all dead. Yeah. And they find Andrew Kinsman, who's like where they started. They find an image of him dead. And like, what is he doing? Because like Andrew Kinsman is, they call him the gentle giant. He's huge. He's like a really tall guy. How did this guy subdue him and was able to kill him? Probably gave him a drink. God. And so, like, they're always posed, these men, and that fucking fur coat yep. is always, like, in the f- in or around the photo. Because he's doing these, like, really disgusting, he's posing the body, yeah. dressing the bodies up, putting cigars, like, it's really, really sick and twisted and shit. I have to say, thank you, Canada, these images were never released. Yes. Let's not do that. A hundred percent. You know? Also, this is going on forever. Are we going to catch the fucking guy or not? Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, they're saying, like, they got to get their paperwork in order. Like, they want to arrest him now, but they can't do it right away. They stay on him while they're trying to fucking get their paperwork in order. The cop who's, like, on the scene is like, uh, boss, he just picked up another guy and he's headed back to his apartment. If they fuck this up, so help me God. Let me tell you, we don't do derpy music anymore, but if we did, we'd be playing it under what happens next. Also, speaking of music, the music is making me crazy. It is so over the top and rude in yeah. this. It's so. It's like, this isn't a fucking Steven Seagal movie. No, Calm down. What happens is the cops are like, uh, we need to act fast. The paperwork's not ordered. They're going to go arrest this guy right this second. Because he could be killing someone He's right now. They have to, to, they have this to save this guy's life. Right. And he doesn't know he's being surveilled. They follow him to the apartment. They let him go up to his apartment with this guy. MacArthur lived on the 19th floor. And when police were swooping in to arrest MacArthur, they had to wait for the elevator. There was only one elevator working in his apartment building. It was rammed full. We packed in there like sardines and made our way very slowly to the 19th floor and stopping on every third floor. So one, they have to wait for the elevator to come down. Boop, boop, boop. I mean, can you imagine? Then all 15 of them get in. Yeah. <laughs> and then it stops on all these floors. Every third floor it And stops. no one's getting in, so it's like, oh, sorry, sorry. too full. <laughs> what are we taking the local? <laughs> If you don't remember, that's Jillian's least favorite joke. I just think it's it's not it's my... It's so bad. I don't like that joke. But by the time they get there, they they knock on the door. The killer answers. answers. They arrest him immediately, but the fucking guy he took home is on the bed, handcuffed to a bedpost with a fucking black bag over it. This guy yeah. wasted not a minute. Not a minute. And if that... I kept thinking, like, what if this elevator gets stuck? That guy would be dead. That guy yeah. would be fucking dead. Arrest him in the lobby. How did you let it go this far? Yeah. Not yeah. you. I don't think you did. I did. I did none of this. You did none of. But like, how did you let it? This like he was minutes from killing this guy. I know. I know. And they they don't say like if the guy was stumbling or anything Uh or if he happened to look drunk. Like I I I would think he'd have to. No, but we were told that he said to the guy, "We're gonna try something different." And like if you're maybe he was a sex worker, so we don't know. Maybe right. But they're like maybe maybe he knew him a couple. Maybe this was like their third or fourth date. I'm just saying they by the skin of their fucking teeth, this guy is alive. Yeah. So you know the killers arrested for the murders of Andrew Kinsman and Salim Essen, and they do this very extensive search of the apartment. They don't find blood or anything, but they find fucking trophies. They find like items that belong to our victims. So now, where the fuck are the bodies? Right, because they're like, we can take him to court, but as we all know, it's like, it's gonna be really hard to try this case with no bodies. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, this guy's a landscaper. Is it that hard to figure it out? I know. 
I know. Two and two equals four. Let's go. Yeah. What they do is they're like, that woman, Karen, they know that he goes, like, he's got hundreds of landscaping clients all over Toronto, but he goes to her house multiple times a day. <laughs> so they're like, we're going to start with Karen. Especially because she has all of his equipment in her garage. Right. The police pound on her door. They assume that she's, like, working with him. They tell her she's got five fucking minutes to get everything she can to get out. The way out, get she out. describes the morning, she was like, <laughs> normal day. I got up with a list in my mind of what I wanted to do. There was this incredible pounding. I opened the door. Are you Karen Fraser? Yes. You've got to get out of your house now. You have five minutes. No information, no nothing. She had her melatonin. She's ready she to She set the go. coffee last night piping hot. And the cops ruin it. I know. She's like, I am God up. damn it. I love a morning. I'm with you, Karen. I see you. And bushy-tailed. Yeah. Can't wait to get that checklist going. Mm. Yep. Down the drain. Down the fucking. Down the tubes. But they also, they like, they scare the living shit out they of do. her. They throw her out of her own house. And then they finally, they're like, Karen, get over here. We got to talk to you. <laughs> so they ask her about her landscaper. And she's like, I just couldn't see it. And the cops, waste, they're like, don't waste. Save shut it, up. Honey. <laughs> Don't waste your sympathy or your empathy yeah. on this guy. He's a monster. The evidence is overwhelming. The evidence is in your front yard. Oh, God. So stop. Karen goes on. She just can't handle it. She, no red flags ever. She goes on for 15 minutes. I Karen know. describes him as a flawless person. I know. He was flawless, she says. Flawless. Karen, we say this all the time. This is your opportunity to use the knowledge you now have and say it differently. Flaw- say it differently, Karen. Can- How many people in your life would you describe as flawless? You. She chooses- You're the only one. Thank you. That's not true, but thank Without you. Without flaws. She uses flawless to describe her landscaper. I know. Who, Who was, was mean? mean to the <laughs> Karen. I- that word doesn't mean what you think it means. I know. No, I know. Could, is, could he lift up the heavy things and yes. and, sh- and trim the hedges? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> totally. Flawless. <laughs> Karen. No. Girl. Girl. And we also, Karen, when you're giving this interview, you know he's a serial killer. Use a you different just word. said that the cops told you to shut up and I don't know. waste your sympathy on him. You know what we're doing. We're avoiding what we have to tell them. I know. The cadaver dogs are here yeah. and they're hitting on the planters. The forensic services unit x-ray it. You could actually see that rib cage that was visible in the x-ray. They started to find um, dismembered human remains. He basically dismembered these men and buried them in the planters. And there were several bodies at Karen's house alone. Yeah. And Karen, and I get it, Karen goes, I don't know where to put that. To which I say, in your therapist's ears, Karen. Yeah. There's you know, no other place for that to live but I'm in gonna, a therapist's office. I want to say this now so I don't forget to say it later because Karen says something really amazing. Yeah. Because they say, like, she's like, my friends will say to me, like, oh my God, isn't it terrible there, there were bodies in there? And she's like, no, it's terrible that these fucking lives were ended. Yes. That these li- what is terrible is yeah. not that. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start, like, let's talk about the real thing like you're like you're you're thinking about the icky thing and you're not thinking about the fact that these men had families the and people factor, who loved them yeah. and they were they their lives had value and yeah. nobody was looking for them and no, and Karen really makes that point yeah. and I was very grateful she's right she's absolutely right yeah so it's like you know they find all the bodies of yeah. these missing men in planters and at, planters at, and the the, there's like a ravine behind his house and they excavate the ravine and they find the rest of the men there also what happened to the guy 
that they like I hope the guy's okay that they got in his apartment like that he saved that they saved his life and like he got medical care if he needed I, it I know. or whatever mental health care like you know like minutes from being brutally murdered that guy and because what happens is that the killer pleads guilty to eight counts of murder to avoid a trial right but also what happened what about the the charges with the guy whose life they just saved yes what about what he did to John Doe exactly there's other stuff that he's done you know, here and we do hear that like they gotta get him on what they can get him on that's fine I know and in Canada like I this is why I think Canada's so nice. They don't have the death penalty. The maximum you can get, it's a life sentence without parole for 25 years. So right. after 20, like, he he'll could, be in his 90s. He'll be in his 90s. Exactly. I hope he dies. Okay, great. <laughs> um, but the cops are like, I wonder how this happened. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't have ignored it for as long as you did. How did this and happen? I mean, we know how this it happened. It took a white guy with a quote, good job for you to start paying attention. Exactly. You had seven people right. before that. I mean, I would just, here's my, my final thought to like, jurisdictional cops everywhere. Sure. When there are enough missing people in your town yeah. that it doesn't look connected, that's the connection. Right. And none the of them are found that it doesn't the next look day, connected. You know is what I mean? Connection. That exactly. none of them are found again right. or none of them, like, there's no proof that they wanted to go yeah. missing. Yeah. Like, I think these cops go to bed every night thinking they did the best they could and eventually they do, like, rise to the occasion. But I'm sorry to say it, you can do better. You Always. can do better. Always. Exactly. Look, as far as I'm concerned, we got to burn it down and start again. Burn, okay, great. That's how I feel. Too much has gone wrong. We got to start again. Kerosene match. Boom. Boom. <laughs> nice Woodstock 99 reference. Oh, fam, we did it. What's it What's it called? It's Catching a Serial Killer, Bruce MacArthur. I gotta tell you, fam, this was a really good... Do- if you're looking for something to watch, Jen Samard, I'm talking to you. You're always looking for a new true crime doc. Oh, watch great. this one. Yeah, it's on oxygen. <laughs> Please come see us at Obsessed Fest, October yeah. 20th to the 22nd. We're announcing all these amazing new guests. Most of everybody from last year, tons of new people that weren't there last year. It's gonna be a wild time. Yeah, and if you're not doing anything this coming Thursday, March 24th, come to the Ollie's Angels Benefit Help Save Animals. It's yes. Ollie'sAngelsAnimalRescue.org. It's where we got Fiona. Remind Find them how they can support if they can't be there. AllieAngelsAnimalRescue.org. You can donate online. They are always taking donations. They have a Venmo. Like it costs a lot of money. Fiona was transported with a lot of other dogs from yeah. South Carolina, so like that's a lot. Totally. It just takes for it takes like a lot of money to save animals. So let's help them. Oh my God! And join us on our Patreon. Over 350 full ad-free bonus apps to download and binge right now. We're yeah. starting Pepsi Where's My Jet right now. In like two minutes. This first episode <laughs> so good, is right? so it's wild. So I cannot wait to get. I into have it. like I hate Pepsi, yeah. but I have a lot of knowledge about their commercials. I gotta tell you, I love. Cindy Crawford, she comes off like a, oh, I, she yeah. comes off amazing in this documentary. Oh my god, it's so good. Uh, what are we doing next? We are doing the Boston Strangler Hunt for a Killer on Discovery Plus. Yes, ma'am. That's I don't what know we're why. <laughs> What do you what do you like the yes. Boston Strangler? What are you a fan? What are you a fan? What are you one of those people we hate? Oh God. No, you're not. All right, fam. Stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our hilarious and ridiculous outtakes. Yeah. Probably about a lot of gay shit. Yeah, I love gay shit. Me too. Best. All right, we love you. Bye. Okay, I love you, bye. Serial sexual. Murder strikes terror. The Boston Strangler case is America's version of Jack the Ripper. Thirteen killings unlike any before. There were things about the murders they couldn't put in the newspapers. These poor women who were killed, either elderly women who were completely defenseless, or they were young women just at the beginning of their life. When every man's a suspect, the crimes were committed by more than one person. And every woman a potential victim. This kind of predator is your worst public safety nightmare. 13 dead won't rest until the most infamous serial killer case in America Time to rock and roll again. is closed. Fuck. 
fuck, I just lost it. Oh, it was right there. My what stupid was brain. What I was, was just going to say something and now I can't. Something, it's just, it's something gone. brilliant? Probably not. <laughs> Usually I'm like, oh, don't be a rat. No, this be a rat. Don't, yeah. Absolutely tell on people. If also, you would have hated me in high school because I told on everybody. Why? If you're doing bad things, I'm telling on you. Why? <laughs> because I don't know. Because Nancy Reagan's gonna come and make sure that no one's shoving <laughs> cocaine up your nose. That's exactly right. I lived in fear. You, you let one kid get away with copying someone's test. <laughs> no. And then one, you and then what? the next thing you know, there's cocaine shoved up your nose. <laughs> says you. Dave Murphy and Chip Roy did not have the ADHD. They were just fucking idiots. Those names sound like an after-school special. <laughs> Dave Murphy real and names. Chip Roy. They are real names. That's great. Look them up, everybody. That's great. Say sexy bandits. Sexy bandits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 I'm sorry. Now I'm mad. Moving on. <laughs> 